John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 198.MT2527, certificate number 46965. C Day. Attention, all personnel. Script exchange will begin in one minute. Proceed in a calm and orderly fashion to the exchange table. C Day, the day before D Day. Right, that's what that's what it sounds. It's not C Day like C Org. And it's not no. it's not C day like a day to C, but it's capital it's C. The letter C. C so, day. So that's when you write a letter to your mom or sweetheart. Put a Bible in your jacket so uh, over your heart. So if a bullet hits you on D day, you right. know it's it's the it's D day Eve. Well, you no, know, it is not. D day stands for day day. I rem- I did I learned that recently. There's H hour and D day. Yeah. And it really actually made me appreciate the new military convention of like these goofy patriotic you know, Operation Patriotic Thunder kind of names. Because yeah. D-Day is terrible. Yeah, but Operation I mean, I get the, I get Patriotic the, Thunder is terrible too. At least in a different way. I mean, D-Day shows no imagination whatsoever. I mean, I get that they liberated Europe. It's day, day. It's the day, and it's that day. But isn't every day that day, when you think mm-hmm. about it? Wherever you go, there you are. I suppose. Time is a flat circle. What is C-Day? C-Day is also military, um, you can kind of tell by the, the minimalistic name, uh-huh. I guess. Uh, the old, old school minim- minimalistic name. What you, Today I, it would be, you know, kill the corrupt dictator day. <laughs> what do you think, uh, an American soldier m- would have made on C day m- monthly salary during oh. Korea or Vietnam? I, I looked this up. Do you have Korea a guess? What were they making on a monthly basis? You're yeah. saying? Yeah. Um, that's how, that's how they were paid. $150. Uh, that's a little bit high. Oh. Uh, weirdly between Korea and Vietnam, between the mid fifties and the seventies, the pay grades had not been adjusted at all. So an E1, you know, the lowest enlisted pay grade, a private would made the same amount in both Korea and Vietnam. They were making $78 a month. I, I was, Twice as much. I was almost almost exactly twice as much. And you were kind of lowballing it because you yeah. suspected it would be a low amount. $78 a month. Now, they're paying your food and housing. Right. Food and housing allowance and, and certain tax advantage. You know, probably nearly doubles the, the, the spending power of military salary. But even so, $78 a month, you know, that was more during Korea than Vietnam because inflation had knocked about $10 off of it. But I feel like that's maybe 500, $550 a month today. Well, let me put it this way. In 1965, the original Mustang with its, uh, you know, a, like sort of base price of a, of a new Mustang was $2,400. And that is the kind of thing you buy when you enlist. That's right. And a V8 Mustang was $2,700. So, uh, I mean, an E1 buys a Mustang. It's just, it's why there are so many Ford dealerships right around military bases. It's, but it's the first thing you do. But he's going to have to, you, you know, he, or, would, or he would have to donate every penny of his salary uh, for two to three years just to pay off the principal. But you'll see that uh, that's the equivalent of $19,000 yeah. today. And the price of a base Mustang today I think has gone up. You can't get one for nineteen thousand dollars. It's twenty six thousand dollars now. So, 
Your money bought more in 65. I should have enlisted. That's what I'm always saying. I should have enlisted in the army in 1965. Mm -hmm. It's the number one mistake I made. You had a much greater chance of of jumping out of a helicopter while Fortunate Son played. <laughs> that's what I. That's the only thing I want. Like the oh, only. And that's the reason why I didn't enlist. I didn't want to hear. I was afraid I'd hear the doors. If I go to Vietnam, I'm going to have to smoke pot and listen to the doors. This is the end. And I was not interested. Uh, those soldiers were actually well paid compared to the Revolutionary War, when your average Continental Army private made only $6 a month. Well, now that seems really low ball. And often they would not get that at all because General Washington was often strapped for cash. Right. I knew that. So often they would get nothing. But supposedly $6 a month and then some kind of bounty at the end of the war. Now, $6 a month in 1776 is, is $160 today. Right. So about what they were getting in Vietnam. Oh, no, it would have been less in Vietnam. Uh, but but yeah, $2 went a long way in 1778. Do you remember? Do you remember what you used to get for a nickel back in 1778? I mean, for a penny, you could get a roast beef sandwich and uh, and uh, a ride on a hay wagon. Roast beef sandwiches hadn't been invented yet. Hmm. They ate Johnny Cakes. Yeah, they, you could get 50 Johnny Cakes and I'm, two of them put in your ears. I'm looking up army pay scale right now. An E1 today, entry level... Salary seventeen hundred dollars a month. Seventeen hundred, still not very much. It right? really That's isn't like twenty thousand dollars a year. And so when they try to make it appealing to you, they point out that you you know you'll almost double that with your with your food and housing allowances. And, it's like making forty thousand dollars and the tax advantages. And they say, and by the time you're a sergeant, what they show you is by the time you're a sergeant, here's how it compares with what you'd be doing in the civilian equivalent of that job. Like, what if you were a cop instead of an MP? What if you were a right? And if they pick the right jobs, it looks pretty good. You're making. You're making 50-something a year instead of 40-something a year right. or something. Stick it out, kid, although not everyone makes it to sergeant. But a weird thing about serving in both Korea and Vietnam is you would not have gotten your $78 a month in United States dollars. Okay. What is it? Company scrip? Essentially. The US, really? The U.S. military had company scrip. No. For about 30 years. Did you not? I didn't know this. I had no idea. I didn't know this until I saw it in MASH. They just... They, which is where I learn everything well, about minute. mid-century America. I watched every MASH. I don't remember company script. So it was just like, uh, it was like green stamps? Yeah. It, this started out after World War II in Europe. Um, the... Originally, soldiers were paid in dollars, but that led to problems. Uh, in a... In an unstable political situation, which is where U.S. troops overseas always are because we created the unstable situation yeah, absolutely. In, in most cases. Absolutely. Sometimes we're there to just to help, but uh, but yeah. Operation uh, Helping Freedom, Operation yeah. uh, Altruistic Eagle. Yeah, that's right. O Operation Altruistic Eagle when we went in and, uh, and rescued a bunch of people from their own government. We, they, they needed our help. They didn't yeah, ask. They did. No. But in hindsight. No, not at all. I think they'd all agree. Uh, so the problem is you bring, you start paying thousands of Americans dollars in that environment. Right. And they will start to spend, want to spend those with locals. The local civilians will want that money. Because oh, for sure. that's more trusted than their own currency. You can get a lot more for, uh, for your American dollar over there in, um, in Dorkistan. Or, or post, post-war Italy. Or, oh. or modern Afghanistan, you know? Think about the weekend you could have in post-war Italy for $1. Fella could have a pretty good weekend in, <laughs> what's the Slim Pickens line? Fella could have a pretty week, good weekend in Reno right. with this stuff. That's right. Uh, you, get, you get Johnny Two Cakes. Two prophylactics. <laughs> Johnny Cakes put in both your ears. <laughs> uh, and in fact, there's a phenomenon where local civilian businesses will, will pay more for, the, you know, they'll pay more for the, for the U.S. currency than... You know, they'll, they'll charge lower prices yeah, for a more reliable that's currency. That's called a black market. Black markets will appear. When I was a kid, uh, you know, I get, I'm sure I get roasted in the comments of this show all the time for my bad takes on U.S. military culture. Uh, they probably already hate six things I've said today. We, um, we have a very diverse listenership. And including lots of active duty military. That's right. And I think that, uh, I think there's a lot of leeway granted to us because uh, we're, we're dumb civilians yeah and also you know we're west coast leftist dads the fact that we mention the army at all really should you should be grateful yeah and i mean you know, as we know on this show ken always takes a slightly woker line than i do just because i'm 
Five years older than he is. The Walker line is the name of my <laughs> bestseller. I'm going to go on Matto to promote it tonight. So if you're going to hate anybody for being liberal, don't hate me. Hate Ken. I'm the I'm the one who wants John's you to- John's a good one. Yeah. I'm John's the, the one who wants That's to right. jump out of the helicopter while fortunate son plays. <laughs> you know, I'll mock the military all day, but at a certain point, I draw the line. No, we both, we both, even though, you know, I would say on a scale of one to 10, how much would you say you support the troops? Because I would say mine's a, an 18. You support out of one to 10, you support the troops at 18. Yes. 90% more than you would think the maximum is. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, you know, I rebel against the idea that I support the troops and that that house, that somehow like is a way to get. Uh, to get out of the responsibility of supporting the army, which is doing terrible things. Well, so sure. I mean, yeah. you know, we don't support the we support the troops in the face of the military industrial complex, which is yes. doing a bigger number on them than it is on us. Right. I we, mean, we've avoided the military industrial complex to a great degree. It's not the troops that are that are making our uh, enemy non-combatants kneel naked in a cement room while dogs bite at their testicles. Well, That's not a, it, the troops. It's a few of them. That's the army. It's a few advisors. It's the man. Yeah, some advisors. That's right. Yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> but not the Green Berets. No. A different group of advisors. We support them. Blackwater. That's who it is. We blame Blackwater. It's some weird CIA consultants. Not not you guys, active duty military who's listening. No, no, no. no. Active duty military who are listening are doing a bang up job as war fighters and fight warriors. But here's my bona fides for these for these um Warriors, both wounded and, and non-wounded. Okay. I had a military ID in my wallet for essentially all of my childhood. Yeah, but all you did was use it to get cheap stuff at the PX. <laughs> I used it to <laughs> sneak on base with my friends so that I could buy comic books at the Shopette yeah. and uh, Street and Smith basketball magazines at the Stars and Stripes bookstore and Teddy Grahams at the commissary and members-only jackets and VHH, uh, VHS tapes at the exchange. So I had the same exact problem. I had a military ID briefly during a period before I smoked or drank, before I had, I was still a virgin. I still only wanted dumb kid things. You hadn't yet seen the Great Texas Dynamo or whatever it's called. Uh, I might have seen the Great, Great Texas Dynamite Chase at that point, but only just. Um and so, but what, but the difference between you and me is that I loved militaria. So I went on base and could buy uniform stuff. Like Wait, could hats I have, and pants and. Could I have done that? Yeah, you buy. It's you, a, to you, the, the post is just a big army navy store. Yeah, you go in and you buy all that military stuff for cheap. So you get boots and, and I loved that stuff. And you know, my best friend in high school, I showed up one day like in fatigues. And my best friend, you know, that was at a time when everybody was wearing Izod shirts before they even had polo shirts. And my friend was like, are you, are you just immune to embarrassment? Do you have no capacity to be embarrassed? Did you tell him you were ahead of your time? I didn't, I didn't there's, even know. There's going to be this show called Freaks and Geeks in 10 years. I think I may have bloused my pants, <laughs> which was even above and beyond. Uh, yeah. So we, uh. You know, I was, a, I was not even, I was more than a civilian. I was the civilian family member, not even of a service member, but of a DOD civilian employee. My mom worked at the elementary school. Right. First the credit union, then the elementary school on the base in Korea. The credit union, boy, that just really, talk but, about stolen valor. Just That just shows how much she loves America. She could have worked in any credit union and she worked in the Navy one. Hey, hey. Good job, mom. Uh, but in addition to the, so when you, when you got your, your, credentials to get on the post you got a military id but you also got a ration control card uh-huh which was just a little i think it was not a nice laminated thing it was just a slip of paper like the other one like but, a, like an international driver's license yeah it was really cheap it looks like a social security card yeah, yeah blue government featureless no picture but it had your number on it and it linked to what you i think it linked to what you had bought at the commissary and they had limits you could only get so much hamburger or you could only get so much kimchi? Uh, there was abundant kimchi off post. The problem was there was a lot of stuff that there was a market for off post that you could get very cheaply at the commissary. And so a Reese's bunch of peanut butter. So enterprising GIs wanted to make a little extra on the side or their, uh, their local wives, their, you know, their, uh. Their local wives. Their Korean wives and girlfriends. Are you talking about, are you talking about the 3000 mile rule? 
<laughs> Many of them were single, I assume. Yeah, but the 3,000 mile rule is like, it's like having a tour wife or a cruise wife. I'm assuming all these guys were bright-eyed, uh, innocent ingenues when they arrived right, right. on their, on, on their unaccompanied, on, on their unmarried tour. Right, right. And they, and they fell in love with a, a beautiful young Asian thing, uh-huh. batting her eyes on a hanbok with a parasol. Who only wanted, who wanted nothing more than to marry a American GI. No, it was true love. Like, go to central California. As a side effect, they're going to move to Fresno. <laughs> and in the meantime, her, she and her mom are going to sell a bunch of spam and bananas from oh, the yeah. commissary. Uh, to local sellers. Oh wait, so it wasn't it wasn't Winston's and and Reese's peanut butter cups. It was just spam and bananas. Uh, spam. I saw a ton of spam and bananas. Sure, because those were staples that were cheap on base, but impossible to get elsewhere. There was no way to get Western groceries in Korea in the early eighties. Wait, bananas were Western grocery. What about banana? What about banana ketchup? They can come from you know. They, I guess that's from the Philippines. They could import them from the Philippines or Indonesia. Right, but. Uh, you know, bananas were well-liked, but not easy to find. And so you, if you went anywhere out on the economy, you went to any grocery store in Seoul in the early 80s, there'd be a, a couple bunches of brown and black bananas hanging up above the, the, the Pop-Tarts and other boxed goods that have been snuck off post. Is that right? So they would sneak them off and then put them up for sale again in a store? Yeah. you don't, there, Some corner of the, of the supermarket would always be... Contraband. Some booth with contraband from, from the base. Uh, and so this was the this was a problem as far back as the post World War II European theater. That didn't happen at Elmendorf. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. There there weren't goods you could you couldn't get in. Uh, well, yeah, uniforms, in your civilian Seven Elevens. But who wanted them? I mean, only me in ninth grade. So as a you know to try to limit the black marketing that was going on, um, as well as you know, there's other schemes you can run. For example. Uh, so during World War II, to avoid dropping sought-after dollars, which would be hoarded into the middle of war-torn Europe, the Pentagon rolled out Allied military currency, uh-huh. which, depending on where you were stationed, actually were in the local denominations. These, uh-huh. these weren't dollar equivalents. You know, if you were stationed in occupied Germany, these would be marks, or depending on where you were, francs, liras, Australian shilling, right. or well, sorry, Austrian would, shilling. Why he, wouldn't Mark or Frank want their money back? <laughs> this, this money is francs and marks. <laughs> well, they can come get it. Uh, that's hilarious. Thank you very this, much. This, yeah, this, that this was a little, a, that was a sort of a Ken Jennings joke. I was little, who's on first thing you've been working on. Uh, Thought that up just then. And uh, or yen, if you were in the Pacific theater, I do have a yen for that. So, uh, and these had some of the advantage, but they still had some of the same problems as, as actual dollars because they were still viewed as more more stable than these currencies. Um, so the Pentagon kept refining this and in September of 1946, they rolled out what would be overseas military pay for the next 30 years, MPCs. Master control programs? (laughs) That would be the... That would be the MCP. MCP is right. I have a little dyslexia. From I almost said Enron. It's not Enron. Encom. 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 Uh, no, these were military payment certificates, uh-huh. and these were issued. These were dollar equivalents. And what happened is, when you went overseas, you would be you would have to turn in all all your dollars for one to one handover into MPCs. You would. The, so, the service member would, huh. not, not you. You were Why would you yet. bring dollars with you in the first place? Oh, you've got them in your pockets. Oh, I see. Uh, Just to buy bananas and spam. That's right. But now you have to buy them with military payment certificates. Well, now why does that keep you from buying bananas and spam and taking them off base? That's the problem. It really doesn't. These things were still more stable than, than the currencies they were replacing. Um, so it still created all these arbitrage opportunities for soldiers and the less scrupulous ones would still use them. Um, they would do a thing where they would get somebody to mail them $100 from home, and then they could, because dollars were better than MPCs, which were better than local European currencies, you could then go take the $100, go off base, and buy $110 in MPCs, Right. come back on base and turn it into, and turn it into dollars. You know, because you could send, you could send, always send your MPCs home as US dollars by money order. But anywhere on base... Nobody would accept uh, actual money. They'd accept these weird kind of coupons that the government had printed. They were not printed by the U.S. Mint, except for a brief period in the 60s. 
they were just produced by private contractors. So some, you know, textbook publisher in Boston or whatever, some place that printed but they'd be BU diplomas. They'd be super easy to counterfeit in that case. They were kind of easy to counterfeit. They were lithographed rather than produced with engraving planes. So they didn't have a watermark. But they did have kind of these tiny blue pink uh, kind of pellets uh-huh. in the in the paper. Um, but no, they were actually extremely easy to counterfeit, and that that is what happened often. Do you uh, remember these? No, I, when I looked up pictures of them online, they looked totally unlike anything I had ever seen before. Do you have any firsthand experience with um, with black markets, like because- having? Like I have three, I have three different sort of black market experiences, and the first one was, you know, back in the old days when, um, when I was uh, poor and rock and roll, uh, not like now when I'm rich and not rock and roll. Post rock, um, but you know, I knew a lot of people on food stamps, and food stamps, of course, uh, you can't use to buy liquor or cigarettes, and so food stamps had a one to one relationship with the dollar if you were buying bananas and spam. Right. But they also had an underground uh, value as currency because you could trade them but at a at a greatly diminished value for liquor and cigarettes and candy and whatnot. Because you needed a middleman who would take her, right. his cut. Right. So there were always people that were going to, you know, were going to happily accept your food stamps for um, cigarettes or even weed but if you wanted to, you know, there's that famous line in an Elliott Smith song, trade in a smoke for a food stamp dollar. Like oh, a right. food stamp dollar is not worth much if you've got cigarettes. Um, but the person that that uh, that traded, you know, now has a dollar if if they want to buy macaroni and cheese. So I what, had, what, what was the exchange rate like? Like how much of a cut did, would they take? Was the it, thing is that, that was it a food was, stamp dollar fifty cents. It was very flexible in the sense that if you had food stamp dollars and wanted to get drunk or high or have a cigarette, it kind of was, um, there wasn't a set amount. It depended on how desperate you were. So, you know, you could sit and negotiate all day, but if you wanted that, if you wanted that toke, you were going to pay what, whatever you had. Uh, and then my other experiences were when I went to East Germany, um, during the, you know, cross the wall, there was a, official exchange rate from marks to east german marks and you were required to to uh to transfer a certain number of real marks or dollars you had to buy Up, upon entry upon they, entry. they sold you east yeah. german you had to buy 50 dollars worth of of ost marks uh-huh. but then once you got onto the streets you realized that the exchange rate was actually uh 80 to 1 dollars to ost marks and you just so to find a guy you just i mean there was e- pretty easy to find a guy and so then in your excitement you would buy 50 more dollars worth of ost marks and you have this huge pile of money but then when you went out into east berlin you had that subsequent realization that there was nothing to buy ken we've been talking for a while about having more merchandise available for futurelings. We have had really good intentions about that, yeah. I would say, for years. And a lot of futurelings want to rep the show. They want to be out there in their own communities saying, Omnibus, yo-yo, Omnibus. And we have, uh, we've we've been forcing them to make their own t-shirts and hats. They have to put signs on their backs that say, Omnibus, ask me how. That's right. Uh, they, they they spray paint Omnibus on their computer terminals and or laptops and their... Well, their coworkers used to say, what's that mean? And now they just have omnibus-themed Zoom backgrounds. All that is about to change. We are finally getting serious about shirts with other merch. TK in time for the holidays. That's right. We've partnered with our friends at Meh uh, to design not just two new t-shirts, but two new t-shirt designs every month going forward. In October, we are starting out with the Omnibus and Futurelings shirt designs that longtime fans may remember from the last time we got our act together, uh, well over, what, a year and a half ago. I don't remember those t-shirt designs. Can you can you refresh my memory? <laughs> one of them says Omnibus in the yellow logo, kind That's of distressed nice. looking on black. It's cool. That's cool. The other one says Futureling with a series of uh, possible 
uh, listener forelimbs, oh, yeah, claws are, and tentacles and robot hands. Those are great. And I know a lot in. of people that didn't get a chance to get those shirts when they were originally available have asked for reprints. So that's nice. So those are coming back on mediocrity.com slash omnibus. That's M-E-D-I-O-C-R-I-T-E-E, mediocrity with a T-E-E at the end. Courtesy of our friend uh, Dave at Meh, who owns my styrofoam head and and made us tell stories about our childhoods. So these new shirts, uh, this first run of shirts will be available until November 1st, at which point a new run of shirts will be available. So that's just in time for the holiday season. These are soft, high-quality shirts available in sizes uh, small through triple uh, XL for women, quadruple XL for men. Uh they are great-looking shirts. Uh, the Futureling shirt is drawn by me personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, not each one. I don't have that kind of time. No, but I remember I remember you submitting that design to me and me going, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Stop sure. talking to me about stuff. Sure. Can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> and then the other one is our, uh, is our famous uh, Omnibus uh, like Fallout Shelter logo. So head on over to Mediocrity. That's M-E-D-I-O-C-R-I-T-E dot com slash Omnibus and check out the new designs uh, all October and then with more to come uh, every month going forward. Then my third black market situation was in Cuba. They decided that this was this problem of, you know, people coming from the West and realizing that a cup of coffee in Cuba was eight cents. Um, The Cuban government issued a second, kind of currency that was only for Western tourists. Hmm. And so it was a little bit of a, yes, it's 10 cents if you're Cuban. Company script. But it's, you know, $2 if you are from the West. Couldn't you like, did everybody just enlist locals to go send in, buy stuff for them? Uh, You could do that. but, But more importantly, there were all kinds of consumer goods in Cuba that you could only buy with Western script. So local Cubans couldn't go in and get Winston's at the tourist store. And so there was a kind of exchange rate between Cuban dollars and tourist dollars, because if Cubans could get a hold of tourist dollars, they could go in and spend this money on, on these luxury goods. And I think a lot of Western tourists were like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll trade you this money. Like, you know, kind of, feeling guilty about the, about the incredible. About the embargo. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you would go far, far enough out in Cuba, you would find places where you'd give them, you'd give them your tourist dollars and they would give you change in locals dollars, which had a, you know, a 10% value, right? That you'd, you'd give them five, five tourist dollars and they'd give you $2 and 50 cents in change. But the, there was no, no scale between the two. Uh, you know that happens in. Well, that happened in Canada. They'll they'll take you know Vancouver. They'll take American dollars, but they will not give you change in it. Yeah, right? they'll give you their seventy five cents on the dollar loonies and toonies. One thing I appreciated about the Dominican Republic when we were there earlier this year is uh, you know because of all the everything caters to cruise line right. tourists. There's kind of a parallel economy where you can buy anything with both dollars or. Uh, the local currency and everybody had both ready to go yeah. and they, they would give you change in whichever you offered. Yeah. You used to see that a lot, especially when the Euro was, when all those local European countries were switching over to the Euro and at a, on a certain date, their currencies were pegged to the Euro, yeah. but no one had Euros yet. And so, you know, you could, it was pretty well known how many francs equal to equal to Peseta. Well, you know, when you mention uh, businesses that cater especially to the to the visitors uh, during the Vietnam era, the initial rule regarding these military payment certificates was that they were only good on the base. You know, you could only buy stuff. You could buy a pack of cigarettes. You could buy a camera. You could buy a magazine, but you couldn't go off base and buy anything. Right. Uh, it was not local retailers were not supposed to accept them, and that just failed immediately. You know, w- once everybody saw they were essentially U.S. dollars, they began to be accepted on par with U.S. dollars. Oh, really? And out in the town? Yeah, you go out of town, and you know, it would be just places where a where servicemen would be. It would be particularly bars, right? And uh, prob- probably brothels and so forth. Sure. Uh, and 
the same worries started to, you know, the same worries that led to the creation of the Allied military currency in the 40s started to recur that this would displace, I mean, in Korea, the won, and then later in the Vietnam era, the South Vietnamese piaster, which was then the currency. The piaster. It was still a piaster. <laughs> That's wonderful. At the time. <laughs> it had a picture of a, a bon mi on baguette on it, I guess. And so the military came up with C-Day. C-Day is short for conversion day. And this was a 24-hour period in which all of the current MPCs went away. Oh, yeah. They would be replaced. Like, you know, as you were saying during the Euro rollout, there was a grace period when you could turn in your your old Pesetas or Escudos or whatever for uh for euros. This would be the same thing, but it was a 24-hour period when you had to unload all your blue uh, MPCs or whatever and exchange them for red ones. I got caught in one of these. Where were you? Bulgaria. <laughs> and they were, they had devalued their currency because it was something like, you know, uh, 100,000 leva. And they were like, we can't keep, we're, we're not Turkey. We're not going to sell things for 50 million lira. And so there was a, a it wasn't one day, but a, a pretty brief amount of time where a hundred thousand old leva became worth one new leva. And everywhere I yeah. went, I was just getting ripped off right and left because people were like, Oh no, you know, this one costs that and here's your change and I was Were they trying to confuse you or oh, were you yeah. confused? Oh, oh I yeah, see. no, no, no. They were having a ball with me. Well, I mean, this happened to, I mean, in this case, nobody's trying to get rid of zeros or anything. Nobody's recalibrating any exchange rates. They it's, just want it to look different. New paper. They just want to make sure that, because what you can do is make sure that GIs can turn in up, you know, up to a certain fixed amount with no questions asked, oh. but that only a GI can do it. I see. So if you're a Korean and you have a shoebox full of, of, of the red ones. Right. Or in, So was this in Korea or Vietnam? Uh, I believe it happened in both. Like, the only records I have is that it's happening in Vietnam. Uh, in the MASH episode, Winchester right. r- runs afoul of a sea day in Korea. But I'm not sure if this is just one of the Vietnam parallels that got ported back to Korea because the show was just a, a, it was just a Vietnam uh, I mean, allegory anyway. What a... I mean, I hate to say this, and, and to active service people... Let me just apologize in advance, but what a dick move. By the U.S. government? Yeah. Think about all the people that were like, oh, well, I'm going to keep my money in in this script. It's more it's more solid than piasters. I mean, that's the group of people that, you, that are like thinking ahead and they're saving. They're the industrious ones that... Are, that have some sense of of they, they didn't buy a Mustang, yeah, and, you, like, and they still you have to send them to the paymaster or the credit union or whatever it is, so they can stand in line. I'm I'm saving this money to send my kid to college, and then all of a sudden the government's like, ha ha ha. Well, GIs didn't get caught out. I mean, it was on the day; it was well publicized, and it was a part of your. No, it, I'm I'm talking about the locals. Oh, the, you're the, locals the locals that had that that were like into the into the exchange. Locals got screwed. Oh, On the first Vietnam-era Sea Day, Conversion Day, which was October 21st, 1968, $276.9 million, or its equivalent in military payment certificates, was converted from red to blue or whatever the new color was, whereas $6.2 million disappeared, which means it was sitting in somebody's cigar box off post. And, you know, people would try to, you know, on the day of, people could try to find service members who were had not converted up to their maximum yet to convert some of their money. Sure, of course. But, you know, 6.2 million, that's a lot of currency disappearing. And what was super important was the secrecy. Nobody could know in advance when the day was going to be. Because if you knew when the day was going to be, yeah. you could start to make arrangements, you could start to become more liquid and get rid of your, your hoarded certificates. Uh, so it had to be announced with no notice at all, and all the troops had to you know, everybody had to be trooped down to wherever the exchange was going to happen. Right. Um, and any large amounts would be investigated by the MPs, right? So they could they could track suspiciously large transactions and figure out who was who was black marketing on the base. Um, there were at least three or four others of these in Vietnam. The last was as late as seventy three, I think. In nineteen seventy, uh, one of the C days, they found that twenty five percent of all uh, outstanding outstanding cash. certificates just disappeared. That's a real cash grab on the part of the on the part of the military. 
Well, I mean, it's not intended to be punitive to locals. It's intended to be, it's intended to discourage the GIs who are black marketing. And it's intended to encourage the circulation of uh, the South Vietnamese piaster. Right. Um, Piaster is such a weird choice. That's like a, that's like the word that was used for the piece of eight. It seems like, like some Italian Renaissance. Yeah, it's like an Ottoman currency. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why it was the piaster until it was the dong, hmm. but it was. Um, you know, they did something similar in uh, in 2016. Uh, Prime Minister Modi of India, uh, you know, the 500 and 1,000 rupee banknotes were being widely used for illicit you know, counterfeit material, uh, dark web stuff, oh, you know, yeah, some, kind of, some kind of shadow economy going on in India. So with, with almost no notice, the Indian government announced, nope, these are not legal tender anymore. You got to turn them in for these 502,000 rupee ones. Uh, you know, people had to stand in long, everybody in India, you right. know, hundreds of millions of people now have to stand in long lines to turn in all their, all their big denomination notes. and you know, it may have worked as far as shutting down these avenues to crime, but there was also cash shortages for weeks and several like Black Friday style stampede deaths right. in, in the in bank the rush runs. To, yeah, runs on the bank like Mary Poppins. It really does make you think that, or make you kind of realize that money is fake. I mean, every, every- If the U.S. can just print this thing with a purple bison on it and say, this is a dollar now as long as you're on post. Yeah, it. it I mean, uh, you would- you would think that anybody that was setting monetary policy, anybody that was invested in the mint or, or I'm sorry, the mint or the fed or whatever would have like their greatest interest would be in maintaining confidence in cash. As if it's some magical thing that came out of the ground or yeah. out of, or out of a, out of a glowing uh, orb from space. Yeah. Like this is worth this and you know to devalue money or to show uh, have money lose value in inflation is like real confidence shaking but to say one day like you've got 24 hours and your money's worthless how are you ever going to have faith in anything i guess service members of all people have no illusions they know that everything about government is an illusion that's right? true right? They know, like their whole life is a is a government bureaucracy yeah right? so it doesn't matter to them because what is money worth anyway even dollars are only worth mustangs it's a, mustangs bananas spam it's they're already living in some like living on an exchange is like living in some COVID economy where all the retail's closed you know there's right there's one place where you can buy things and they have like 30 things right vhs uh, copy of pretty women like the airlines, the U.S. military is now making an effort to go cashless. Uh, so there, you know, the script was, uh, what is the script called? Military payment certificates were ended after the Vietnam era. They did not survive the, oh. the mid-1970s. Went back to dollars. Yeah. Uh, U.S. service members stationed overseas after that were just paid in U.S. dollars. But that started to change during the Clinton era, deployments to, um, to Bosnia and Kosovo and so forth saw the introduction of the new Pentagon cash equivalent, the Eagle Cash card, which is, it's, it's as dorky as you think. The Warfighter card. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a piece of plastic that works like a debit card. Right. That you or, you know, your, the Pentagon can preload with a certain amount of money every month. Do you and get then, rewards? I don't think there's rewards. <laughs> do you get double points at? Uh, yeah. Do you get double points at the burger bar or the barber shop? Buy two Mustangs and you get a free copy, free VHS copy of Pretty Women. Uh, you know, U.S. dollars still circulate on overseas bases despite the attempts to get the Eagle Cash card to catch on, and that's actually led to a problem in Iraq and Afghanistan, where coins are badly needed, but heavy and expensive. To get to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, I never thought about this when I was, you know, buying stuff on base as a kid in the '80s and '90s. And the the clerk would, you know, you'd rent a video, and the clerk would give you twenty six cents in change, and you would think, well, I got to have two drawers at home, one for dollars and one for local currency. Right. Um, but today, uh, nobody wants to ship nickels and dimes and quarters over is, to the war on terror, which would be. Actually, worth something over there, like 
I wonder if that's a concern too. <laughs> well, they're, they're probably worth more as currency than they are as metal. I don't know. Even, even given the devaluation. But that's what I mean. Like over here, you can't buy anything for a nickel, but in Afghanistan, I see, you know, like yeah. a nickel might become uh, actually a piece it's, of it's a one-to-one purchasing power. That's right. Yeah. So the military solution for this has been pogs. Pog, like the, like pineapple, orange, guava? Yeah. Or like the collectible cardboard circles that, that came on the caps of them. Are you familiar with the, uh-uh. with the pog fad? No. You're more familiar with the juice than with the fad? Well, the juice is amazing. I have no idea about the fad. It's because you're so aloha. Uh-huh. No, as a, as a, you know, as a giveaway, there was a brief fad for these cardboard or plastic discs with, um, with pictures of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Nick- Nickelodeon characters or whatever on oh, them. And that came from Pokemons. Where did they come? Where did you get them? Uh, you know, at the height of their power, you would just buy them alone. Pogs. Like the same way, uh, you know, you don't have to pretend to buy gum anymore to get uh, baseball cards. To get baseball cards, but there's a you know there's games you play with them, kind of you know like a collectible, kind of the equivalent of a collectible card game. You can play with them. They're and, like tiddlywinks. Yeah, and the game was originally played with bottle caps of pog juice. It was like a it was a Hawaiian game, I think, based on an old Japanese game. Oh. So, so it is related to Pog, the Yeah, juice. no, it is named for pi- passion <laughs> orange guava or, oh, nice. or whatever that juice is. Um, but I think more people remember now the game than the juice. You're, you're just OG. Yeah. It's you're a POG. Ki- it's a kind of aloha, but I'm not aloha so much that I know the old, old school game. So the U.S. government is now printing its own Pogs that are the size and, and monetary equivalent of nickels, dimes, and quarters. Except that they have kind of these goofy, um, kind of recruiting-looking pictures on them. You know, it'll be they'll have an, a picture instead of George Washington. It'll have an F-15, or it'll have a a, a a a navy a sailor who's also a woman of color hugging a kid, or it'll have an an eagle an eagle's head in front of a badly superimposed. Stars and stripes. So this is 100% fake money now. We're yes. just talking about like coins are too expensive to ship in bulk. So we're just going to make... Coin-shaped cardboard that looks nothing like a coin and say, and, and hope, I guess, that the, the trouble you would go to to counterfeit them, because they're just cardboard, is not worth the, the 5 to 10 to 25 cents you would get from making a sheet of them. But they're going to be honored by the U.S.? On base, yeah. I, I don't know to what degree they've had, I don't know to what degree they're allowed to accept them, you know, off base in the local market or souk or whatever. Right. Um, but it's just to, to let a clerk make change at the commissary or the bowling alley or the barbershop or whatever. Right. So crazy that, I mean, it's just one step away from just kind of carrying a sheet of notebook paper around and somebody writes... I owe you 10 cents on it. That's what the first checks were. Yeah, right. I mean, when I was in grade school, that's how we learned. I mean, they tried to teach us money that way, that you, instead of getting grades for your homework, they would give you 10 cents, five cents for a, for a completed homework assignment. And we had a, uh, like a bank book. Oh yeah. I remember you, yeah. you, you hoarded all your, all your elementary school script. Yeah. Right. Cause you wanted to go to Farrell's or whatever. I, wanted to, I didn't want to go to Farrell's. I wanted to. Oh yeah. I wanted because I thought, thought, they turned into, I thought they turned into real money. I knew what money was. But there was no C day. No, it got, it got turned into nothing is what it got turned into. You wanted a C day in elementary school, but I you did, but you had too many C's. I wanted a C day where everybody else got got burned out of their money and I got handed a $50 bill. That's not in the spirit of I would C-Day. still have it. I would still have that $50 bill. You're the evil money grubbing Charles Emerson Winchester of your of your 5th grade class. Yes, I absolutely am. I'm the I'm the money grubbing Charles Emerson Winchester of this podcast. And that concludes C-Day, entry 198.mt2527. Certificate number 46965 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as Uber, Google, and Apple, probably have their own company script, which you can use to buy everything. 
but that has completely replaced American money. Um, Enjoy your Facebook Panera uh, Kmart bucks, futurelings. And we would appreciate it if you would support the show, even in your future state, by sending your script in the form of worthless American money before it is completely devalued to patreon.com at slash omnibus project. That's true. We don't send us money. We, we like the military have a cashless economy. We don't want your cardboard pogs. No, but we do want your cash, your actual American dollars in the form of your Eagle card. It's, it's digital. It's all, we, we, it's virtual. Put your Eagle card into Patreon and donate between 20 and $2,000 a month. And I know, you know, I think about maybe one in 20 of our listeners is actually a Patreon subscriber. 95% of you listening right now uh, has not supported the show monetarily. And I understand the impulse to not want to pay for what is essentially a free good. Sure, sure. You're listening That's to rational. the show. We offer it for free. Uh, although you cannot hear our bonus episodes or any of our in- or see any of our interesting addenda like like um, the people who are supporting the show at the level where they get actual show notes mailed to them autographed autographed but here is uh, here's what I think you're 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 missing I think you're underestimating how fun it is how liberating it is to pay for something you don't have to pay for oh I agree like you're gonna feel like a Renaissance Medici yeah patron of the arts. That's right. If you have, you know, if in this troubled economy you still have a discretionary income, uh, it feels great to throw it at something you don't have to. You're going to feel powerful. If you're someone who kind of uh, maybe gloats a little bit that there is no longer a record industry or an entertainment business or magazines or newspapers or any of the things where people used to do creative work and get paid... um, you know, that goes hand in hand with actually paying for the creatives that you adore. And who do you adore more than television's Ken Jennings and his disagreeable friend? You should uh, definitely listen to John's many other shows. Old Mr. Mustache over here. But I don't see a penny from those. Just keep that in mind. Anyhow, anyway, patreon.com slash Project is where you would support the show. Ken is at Ken Jennings on Twitter. I'm at John Roderick. Please, everyone, make no more attempt to uh, to get me into any kind of parody of likes with Ken. I I I, I succumb to his to the juggernaut of Ken's superiority. Let's just let's just put a name to it. Uh, it's, online, it's numerical superiority. Online superiority. No, your jokes are funnier than mine. Let's Whoa. just yeah yeah yeah. It's true. We're rec- you know we're recording yeah, this right. Your now. Twitter sense of humor is better than mine. I'm too. I don't know, wrapped up in my own small world, whereas you are out there just swinging for the fences every time. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for appreciating what I do. Yeah, no, that means I do, a lot. I do feel like you are great on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm better on Instagram than Ken because Ken isn't on Instagram, at John Roderick. I just lurk there and look at your photos, and they are pretty good. Thank you. Uh, although lately, uh, since I shaved my beard, not that good. <laughs> Was it linked? <laughs> yeah, I would take interesting pictures because I had... You know, I had the protection of my beard to let me go in places. But now people see me and they assume there's there's some court order that keeps me away from schools. Uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can enjoy a, a community of like-minded people, many of whom do support the show, at, uh, support the show on Patreon, at uh, our various Futurelings group on Facebook, on Discord, on Reddit. Reddit. And uh, 4chan, probably 4chan, TikTok. Oh, yeah, there's a, definitely a 4chan group. It's uh, it's slash om slash it's just omnibus fans. This is gonna be a real thing. We're, we, need, we need to find out what what om actually is. On 4chan. Moot is gonna come and and put us up there. Uh, you can send us real mail at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington 98155. What do we got over there, Ken? Uh, we got bag. we got a postcard that actually shows Amundsen's uh, airship. It appears to be a just from the typeface. It looks like a very old postcard, not from not contemporaneous to the oh, let me see to that. the airship flight. But that's a that's a mid twentieth century postcard right there, which is lovely. From what, what was the name on it? Uh, it's from Kane hmm, Raffarts. Why John or can't read? Cowan K 
This is like one of those videos where you hear whatever word you're looking at. So I hope if you sent that, you heard your name there. And you, everyone else probably heard their own name. If you're Yanni or Laurel. Uh, MJ also sent us this uh, salute to letter writing, which we have called a lost art before. But uh, they used a fountain pen to write the omnibus in various fonts. Oh, that's, that's very nice. nice. Look at that. That's beautiful. And to defend the letter writing of, of their generation, they bought a bunch of stamps to support the Postal Service. Thank you, MJ, for supporting the Postal Service and for sending us one of your fruits. And then Pablo and Anna, who suggested the Mesoamerican Death Whistles show mm -hmm. we recently did. Mm -hmm. uh, Supporters of the show. They, they had previously had sent us a video of them blowing one of their 3D printed death whistles, but here's one Whoa. that they just sent us. It's a kind of a coppery skull but you have to you learn to how it? to do this right isn't this something you can't just whoa hello. i don't know let's here, let's see how your first attempt goes there right, go. let's see if it's spooky <sighs> so you don't just blow into it i can tell you that oh wait 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 you have i to, think it's the round hole there's a there's a hole you have to hmm. whoa <laughs> that's it it's like a train whistle Mm-hmm. Let me try this again. Different hand. Oh, it does sound kind of screaming. You're getting close to the hollow screaming sound. That's kind of horrifying. It's really awful. Thank you, Pablo and Anna. That's wonderful. For scaring I'm, us. I'm this sure is a good Halloween show, I guess. The new kitten upstairs is probably uh, up on top of the refrigerator right now. Wow, that's scary. Uh, so thank you. Yeah. Did you read the address? Uh, oh, uh, yes, I did at, uh, um, a PO box, uh, 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. So we earnestly hope that Providence will allow us to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>